You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Today's stories are a little different, because I'm sorry to say that this is my last episode as your host of All The Best. It's been such a privilege and a pleasure sharing with you all of the amazing stories from our contributors. Together, we've been on some of the funniest, most moving, compelling, wacky and wonderful journeys from the largest Kinder Surprise collection in the world to life-ruining rom-coms, from sexy ancient Greek forest cults to unions fighting for LGBTQIA rights. Today, we're going to be jumping back into some of my personal favourites from my time hosting All The Best. And I've got to say, it was pretty hard to pick just three. In our first story, Mark investigates some of the misconceptions about Satanism. Hey, so Satanism is a religion, right? I mean, why not? Like, we accept every, like all kinds of like other religions. Why wouldn't Satanism be one? <laughs> yes. If people can believe that God is real, then I think that logically, then it must be the case that um, if people think Satanism is real, then it's a religion as well. So is Satanism actually a religion? I was having chats with some of my friends about this, because I feel like it's been in the media a bit lately, and I had a lot of questions about what all this actually was. It was the Noosa Temple of Satan specifically. And yes, there's a Temple of Satan in Noosa, of all places. Kind of wild. But they were holding a black mass late 2020 and lobbying for a local hospital to recognise Satanism as a religion. And all of this kind of led me to wonder, well, is it a religion? Thousands of people across Australia would consider themselves Satanists according to the 2016 census. But whether or not Satanism is a quote-unquote real religion remains a point of contention. I think some people think it, it is. I don't know why. It shouldn't be a religion, that's all I know. It is too extreme to be a religion. Whether it's a religion or a cult, I am not informed enough to decide, but I feel like it's big enough to be a religion. It can be a bit of a testy question. It really comes down to what makes a religion a religion. Does it have to be worshipping a higher power or a benevolent higher power? Can you get political as a religion? And how do you tread that line between religion and cult? Joseph Laycock, Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Texas State University, believes Satanism is indeed a religion. So if, so if we're not defining religion in terms of believing in the supernatural, how else could it be defined? Mm. The so-called four C's model uh, says you need four things to be a religion. You need a community, you need uh, a cultus, which is rituals, uh, rituals that, that your community does. You need a creed, so you need to believe in something, even if it's not supernatural. And then a code, which would be a, a rules or of, of, of behavior. Oh yeah, it's definitely a religion. Uh, the definition in Australia for religion is that you have to have a belief in a supernatural being. And that you have to have some tenets that you, some principles that you believe in. And so clearly you just have to ask any Christian and they'll confirm Satan is real. So that's the first box ticked. 
And of course, we have our seven or 10 tenets as well. So as far as uh, legality goes, we are definitely a religion. That was Robin Bristow, the co-founder of the Noosa Temple of Satan, known within the faith as Brother Samael Demogorgon. And yeah, they're the ones who've been up to no good recently. In terms of answering that question, I think he was pretty head on with it, right? We just have two criteria for being a religion in Australia, and he's pretty adamant the Noosa Temple meets them. They have a deity, check, and some tenets, check. Well, I have never heard of a group of people that worship the devil. The thing is, he's kind of right. Many Satanists don't actually literally worship the devil. Some people are theistic Satanists. They believe in a supernatural deity. And others are non-theistic where they see Satanism, sorry, Satan as a symbol or a metaphor. Contemporary Satanism is probably more the latter with the uh, non-theistic view on life. Which means to meet that first criteria for a religion of believing in a deity, Satanists kind of rely on Christians believing in Satan to meet it. Well, if Satanists don't believe in Satan, then what what do you call people who believe in Satan? And the answer is Christians. Uh, They are perhaps the the greatest believers of Satan. Um, Some Christians even live their life every day with Satan's influence. So you can see how powerful Satan is in their lives. So most Satanists don't literally worship Satan, and they kind of do piggyback off Christians believing in that supernatural deity for them. Some of my friends thought this raised questions about Satanism's integrity as its own religion. Sometimes it feels more like um, a reaction to Christianity than a real religion, you know? This dynamic between Satanism and Christianity is really interesting to me. In my mind, Satanism isn't like a lot of other religions, right? In that religions organise themselves around really distinct beliefs. But Satanists organise very explicitly in opposition to an existing religion. It borrows a lot from Christianity. So in that sense, is it really its own religion? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. I do not have an answer necessarily. But I just think that the dynamic between Satanism and Christianity plays out in really interesting ways. For example... Here in Noosa, uh, the Christians were handing out water in Hastings streets, claiming they were a hydration station, but uh, they actually were there to proselytize and uh, evangelize. And um, what the what the Satanists in Noosa did was ask if they could have a permit as well. And the Noosa Council immediately withdrew permits for anyone. So the effect was that the Christians were no longer allowed to be on the streets of proselytizing. So we achieved our aims there. This seems to be what satanic activism, as they call it, looks like. Where Christians can do something without being questioned for it, Satanists will try to get in there and do the same thing. And the result is, everyone will question who really gets to practice their religion freely. As Robin put it before, Satan has a pretty strong influence on mainstream society. People have pretty strong reactions to the whole concept. And it's not even just Christians. My friends who are saying Satanism is cult-like or too extreme to be a religion aren't even Christian. You might think that these attitudes would make the aims and operations of Satanism harder to achieve, but in fact, these reactions are exactly what make it impactful. Well, I I think that the Satanic Temple is keenly aware that 
Satan and Satanism are completely intolerable, right? Two large sections of society. So in, in, in the United States, for example, they went to a public school where a court had ruled that uh, Bibles could be distributed, and they began distributing a satanic coloring book for children. Uh, and there was nothing objectionable about the coloring book. It had puzzles, it had word jumbles, and the words were things like compassion and tolerance. But it just had the word Satan on the on, on the cover, and and they knew, and they, they, they predicted correctly that the school would change its mind and decide, well, there can't be any religious literature of any kind here. So they're very much counting on the fact that people hate Satanists and, and, and want to keep Satanists out of the public square as possible. In a sense, Satanists don't just borrow the figure of Satan from Christianity. They borrow the Christian image and fear of Satan as the Antichrist to carry out their work. Is that the best idea, though? I think that they're playing a very high-risk game, because I always think that there is a chance that they will end up simply reinforcing um, these, these ideas about anyone who is against us is uh, the enemy of God and the, the enemy of all mankind. Uh, groups like LifeSite News, which is a, a Catholic pro-life group, uh, uh, loved the, the Satanic Temple as well because it played so easily into their narrative of anyone who disagrees with us politically is, is, is of the devil. I feel like this is where everything gets a bit complicated. We've started talking about Satanism more as a political struggle now than as a religion. And it kind of sounds like what they borrow from Christianity is a bit of a two-way street, you know? Christians get leverage from Satanism just like Satanism gets leverage from Christianity. Does being a political movement preclude you from being a religion, though? Absolutely not. I, I think it's very disingenuous when people say that something can't be a religion because it has political goals. Uh, here in the United States, uh, Christianity is, I, I think, the most important political force in, in, in our politics. Most people are actually Satanists without knowing that they are. You know, non-theistic uh, have, have the tenets, the tenets are very uh, logical. You know, we're talking about science, we're talking about being helpful to other people, uh, bodily autonomy rebellion that's probably our main tenet is to be a rebel uh to be an adversary and to to take on authority and always challenging and always questioning and always being a bit naughty if there's one thing i learned while making this it's just how big of a role activism plays in the practices and beliefs of contemporary satanism and the noosa temple is certainly structuring their future plans around that activism going forward if you could leave people having learned one new thing about Satanism as you practice it in Noosa, what would it be? Uh, it's lots of fun. So generally speaking, religion is all about uh, guilt, anxiety, and um, tragedy in most cases. Uh, Satanism is a lot of fun. There's great fellowship to be had. Uh, you can, you can uh, gather around in a pub and have a, a good drink and a good yarn with your fellow Satanists, and it's lots of fun. That story was produced by Mark Yin. Ivana Ho was the supervising producer. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. 
If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to go diving. Maybe it was out of jealousy that my older brother got to go when I was too young. Or maybe it's a result of the endless reruns of Blue Planet I watched whenever I was homesick. Whilst I'm still yet to go, this next story brought me a little closer to life under the sea, without ever having to get wet. When jellyfish come together in large groups, sometimes kilometres wide, it's called a bloom. These blooms can be hauntingly beautiful, otherworldly even, but they're also destructive and hint at climate and ecosystem change. I'm Amalia Hart. I'm a science journalist. I've been fascinated with jellyfish ever since I saw them strewn across a beach as a child. I was captivated. Penelope Davis, a Melbourne-based artist, knows what that's like. She once saw one of these blooms while walking her infant son along the foreshore of Port Phillip Bay. I used to push him in his pusher along the um, the the foreshore, and the shoreline this particular year, maybe two thousand and nine. 2008 or 2009, the Elwood foreshore shoreline was clogged with uh, large jellyfish, large blubbery jellyfish, and it went on for a few weeks. What alarmed Davis so much was the relationship between jellyfish blooms and ecosystem changes. Jellyfish thrive in warmer waters and can survive pollution because they require less oxygen than other marine animals to live. As they thrive, they create their own problems, crowding out other species. Michael Kingsford is a professor of marine biology at James Cook University and a jellyfish expert. So jellyfish have been through uh, a number of mass extinctions, which a very obvious one would be when the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. So they survived that. So, whew, you know, they can be around a long time. So a bit of climate change from us is not going to make them go extinct, would be my view. Um, what the danger potentially is, is changes to ecosystems as a result of there being too many of them. What Davis saw on the Elwood foreshore inspired her to create an installation at a local gallery of huge jellyfish, some filled with lights, that moved around the room on fishing lines. Davis wanted to capture the tension between the beauty of jellyfish blooms and their relationship to environmental degradation, so she used waste materials to build the creatures. I suppose as an artist you're always working with your hands and your head and um, your sense of aesthetics and, and your rational self. Uh, so on the one hand, jellyfish are beautiful when they move through the water. They're, they're um, entrancing to watch and, you know, some, sometimes they have bioluminescent qualities and they pulsate and uh, it's like watching some sort of ballet. But, um, yeah, on the other hand, um, they represented um, uh, something sort of monstrous and sinister. The swarming behaviour of jellyfish is what can turn these seemingly innocuous little creatures into a destructive force. 
They brought down aircraft carriers, they brought down nuclear power plants, and they brought down aquaculture facilities, for example, uh, with very large numbers of jellyfish that blocked the entrance to something, or you know, they'll block up the sides of aquaculture nets so things suffocate, tentacles get through, hurt the animals. But the Ronald Reagan, one of the world's biggest uh, aircraft carriers, got stuck in Brisbane Harbour because its intakes got jammed up with jellyfish. So the humble, brainless jellyfish brought down one of the world's most powerful warships, you know. They have this this weediness or this toughness, so they can they're like they're like weeds, and weeds weeds become a, a disaster when they swarm, when you know they proliferate and mass together. Davis sees jellyfish swarms as a metaphor for the way that humans have changed the planet. They're kind of a symbol of what we have created. I mean, we're we're the ones responsible for polluting the oceans and um, for, you know, destroying the environment. We've, we've created the circumstances which mean that these, these jellyfish survive and flourish at the expense of all else. That story was produced by Amalia Hart. Mel Chun was the supervising producer. This story was part of our Swarm series, a series of stories produced by Melbourne University audio journalism students as part of a special collaboration with the Science Gallery. For our final story, we're going on a deep dive into the dark, where Christina asked the question, what exactly is darkness? For me, darkness is a quiet room in the early hours of the morning. I think that darkness is the absence of light. For me, darkness is what allows light to exist. Darkness is peace and solitude. Darkness can be scary, can also be comforting. Is an opportunity to rest my eyes. Darkness is when you lose your freedom. For me, darkness is something that's become more challenging since last year when I got sent to the emergency room to have my eyes lasered. Ciao Cristina, allora rispondo a For me, darkness is. For me, darkness is the politicians in my country who are making really destructive decisions that affect all of us. Yes, when you lose your freedom, that's darkness. And turn my attention inwards so I can see the hidden spaces within where some deeper truths float around. 
For me, darkness is about everything we kill, white, and relax. I think that darkness is nothingness. Okay, try again. Darkness is night time. And that could be anything, but mostly it's free time. Don't have to work time, time to eat, time to have fun, time to relax, time to engage with other people normally. For me, darkness is when I can see anything. Even in light, I can see darkness. Um, for me... <laughs> darkness is the pre-dawn, when the world is asleep and dreams float like fog in the air. Darkness is also a challenge whenever you move to a new place. You find yourself in a home and think of it as a home when you can get up in the night and navigate through the rooms and the passageways without being able to see. It can be good to be in the dark, feel a little bit of uh, quiet maybe, especially now uh, during the day the house feels so crammed. We're in lockdown um, and there's too many of us, so it feels sometimes. Darkness. Darkness to me, it's just night time. When I think of darkness, I feel a certain restful state that is quite deep. For me, darkness is infinite calm. Darkness frees the body from its limits. You can be a boat, a jumbo jet, a cuckoo clock. You can be a pawn on a checkers board or a rat in a sewer. For me, darkness is a period that offers no logical ending, like a war, like the COVID-19 pandemic, where families are torn apart, where there's loss and human suffering, where there's death. Darkness for me is a period that offers no logical solution. Where there seems to be no logical ending. Where there seems to be no logical solution. A period that offers no logical solution. No logical solution. Walking outside in the dark at night feels very relaxing. A little bit of a break from this routine that seems pretty much the same every day. A place where everything is possible and nothing exists. As I wake up and get to my senses, listening to the muffled sounds of the night, I feel like I'm the only person alive in the world, and I know that in a minute I'll fall back asleep to a dream.
Hey, I just wanted to reply, reach out and reply to your note from um, the other day. Sorry, it's taken me a while. Darkness says goodbye to a world that we can measure in logical ways and it conjures unexplained magical things. Darkness is a state of mind. It's up to us whether to embrace it or let the light in. A time to power down, to switch off, to reset my brain, to embrace the absence of stuff, of information, of matters that need attending to. And it scares me and that feels like a massive heavy weight over my country. It's darkness. I don't sort of think of darkness as like depressive or anything. It's just more like nighttime to me. So I'm going to keep it pretty simple. I would say um, I think that darkness is often the shadow. And our shadow requires of us sometimes to look where we do not wish to look, to follow a line into the dark to find the light. For me, darkness is something heavily dependent on my mood. Sometimes it's the dangerous place where I go when I'm tempted to run away from myself. Other times it's a safe cover where I can be myself, mostly when the world is pissing me off. When I think of darkness, I feel... Darkness, I think then, is something you feel more comfortable in when you can find your way through it, through feel and touch. Darkness is also a place where you find yourself. The darkest moments have always led to some kind of coming out into a brightness and a shiningness where you discover yourself there and you discover your resilience and you're surprised when you look back and think, I got through that. Darkness, therefore, is we think of it as our friend only when we've emerged from it, never when we're in it. Darkness gives us hope, a future occupying unseen places. Death will only come the moment darkness ceases to exist. That story was produced by Christina Marres. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC 
on Arunda and Warramungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer, and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.